0: Welcome to Hype Louisville, where we bring you the most exciting things happening in our city and talk to the people making it happen. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew Beckman and Nathan Shanks. Let's get hyped! All right, Hype Louisville. We are at our first ever live podcast recording. We are uh, at Nulu, and we're in this... Badass spots, uh, a hundred and fifty year old building ish, and we're in an old chapel, an old the uh, gym where Ali used to train. And uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like a fighter. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so uh, it, this is hype Louisville. It's Nathan Shanks, Andrew Beckman. We have our first guest of 2023, and with the uh, doctor, Tyler Jury. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man. Glad to have you, nice man. And hosting us. So uh, Tyler is one of the founders of Clayton and Croom, a uh, really cool retail spots, uh, online store. Uh, they have two locations that are brick and mortar, and uh, belts, wallets, bags, coasters, anything leather you can think of. They have created some really cool products, and uh, excited to have Tyler here today. Can you, uh, can you just kind of walk us through a little bit of like how Clayton and Croom started and uh, how it's gotten to this point? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, so Clayton and Croom, we're a handcrafted leather goods company based here in Louisville, Kentucky. Really born out of a dorm room at Western Kentucky University. So my business partner, Clay Simpson, and I uh, got together our senior year of college. And really what was happening is the wallets and belts we had been buying our whole lives at the department store, Kohl's, TJ Maxx, you name it. We'd buy them. And a year later, they were falling apart on us. But for some reason, we'd show up at family events and we'd see our grandfather had been wearing the same belt for 40 years. And we said, something here is just not matching up. So we decided to dive into that concept a little bit more and trying to create leather goods that last, um, things that were built quality the way that they used to, uh, and and that's kind of what our company's been built
0: around, is the premise of creating quality goods um, that, are, that are built to last. I love it. Well, my belt's like five years old, and it feels like I bought it yesterday, so so far so good. Are you stretching it out a little bit? I mean, yes. <laughs> Since the new kids. Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, when... I, I in twenty twenty I started running a lot. I ran a thousand miles in twenty twenty, but I I had already owned this belt, obviously. I, I can't remember if I asked it, you or Jeff. Did you get that at St. James Art Fair, I think? I, yes, yeah, yeah, good call. Um I, I can't remember which of you I asked. You all had I had to come in here and you had to put two new holes in it. <laughs> because I'd, I'd lost like 20 pounds. I always tell customers, if <laughs> you
1: buy a belt from us and two years later you say, I lost 50, 80 pounds, I need a new belt, I give those people a belt for free because oh, that's just a it's great awesome. awesome. thing. Awesome. We want people to have stuff that stick with them, you know, yep. that they can pass on to their next generation.
0: I love it. I love it. I got
2: a new nickname for you now, though. Oh, God. Two holes. Two holes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's correct. <laughs> anyway, turn <laughs> the record button. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, obviously, you own a a dental practice. You now are part owner in this this company. And uh, I'm just curious, like, did you always have this entrepreneurial mindset? Did you develop it after college, when you started, when you bought your dental practice and started this, or how did that kind of go for you? Sure. Um, I don't know what lit that fire
1: underneath me at a young age, but that's certainly something I've had for a long, long time. Uh, my first business venture was in, in fifth grade. Uh, I was at the league, and I, my, for some reason, I don't know, I had, like, beaten my Pokemon Blue game, and I wanted Pokemon Red or vice versa. And I asked my dad for, you know, money to go buy this game, and he was like, well, if you want to buy video games, you need to buy it with your own money. And I was like, well, I don't have any. And he said, well, then you need to figure out a way to make some money. And I was like, okay, well, what can I do? And he said, you know, you've got one set of grandparents that have a farm so I grew up outside of Elizabethtown, so I had one set of grandparents with 180 acres, a dairy farm, and then another set of grandparents who had a home right in the center of Elizabethtown on a pretty busy street corner. And he said, you know, you could grow some vegetables out of your grandfather's farm and then sell it at your other grandparents' house in town. And so that kind of started a venture for me where I would plant an acre of sweet corn, 200 tomato plants, you know, a few dozen, like, rows of green beans. An acre? Yeah, for yeah, we'd run the front end loader of the tractor down through this acre of corn and just fill it up, and then throw it in the back of the truck and take it to like the Shepherdsville flea market on the weekend. And I, that, in fifth grade, I made three thousand five hundred dollars running, running this <laughs> that is little awesome. vegetable operation. I learned like how to set up a stand. I would have friends come help me and shoot basketball in the yard while we waited on like old ladies to pull up on the street and come buy their tomatoes from me. Uh, I had to manage expenses. I had to pay my grandfather rent for using part of his property. And so I, d- I don't come from much with my family, but I do come from people who know how to work hard and make a lot out of what they have. And so uh, that that really got things started and it was a pretty successful business venture for me from like fifth grade until my sophomore year of high school. I'd definitely say there was like this cuteness factor in fifth grade where I was making a lot of money through middle school, but by high school, I kind of turned into, you know, I don't know, maybe not quite as cute. And so I didn't make as much money by the time I was 16, but it taught me a lot there. I got into college. Uh, I had always known I was interested in dentistry because it allowed me the ability to like be in the medical field, to work with my hands, to have a good work-life balance and to be involved in a, a few different things in my schedule. Uh, and so I think I was drawn to that over other fields of medicine because of the ability to own your own practice versus just working, you know, for a hospital group. Uh, and I mean, I had an iPhone repair business in college. And so I would buy broken iPhones and fix the screen and sell them on eBay. And that was something that, uh, kind of got me through. And so I, I always knew I wanted to do dentistry, but I think I've always had a heart and a fashion desire for entrepreneurship. And maybe that comes from my grandfather having his own family farm or my other grandfather having his own construction company, uh, what have you. There's my wife. Hey, <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Also, I just want to say this is awesome, doing a podcast where I can hear the ice and glass. I know, right? (laughs) Exactly. I never knew that I would own a bar when I was a child, but it's something I'm really proud of, and it's fun to come down here, and I just appreciate y'all. showing up, And I hope the drinks are awesome.
0: They're good. They're good. They're good. There's a hole in my glass. Yeah, cheers. You said two hole, but he he got a hole in one last week, so I think we need to call him hole in one. Okay, fair enough. How about that? Whatever. (laughs) Someone's got a humble from here, you know. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Um, I talked about your iPhone, the, the screens. Any like, I know, I know you have one decent story in particular that uh, I, I hinted at one in the lead up to this event, um, and that that is not
1: a lie. So, I did repair Bryson Tiller's broken iPhone when I was in dental school. It was kind of a cool story, so. I did a number of things, but I, I remember I had a Craigslist ad posted in my first year of dental school that said like broken iPhones, you know, contact me here. And so I would get these inquiries and I would drive all over the city and get a phone and repair it and get it back to the person the next day and make a hundred or 200 bucks for doing so. Um, uh, and so one time I showed up in this like sh- strip mall center down, um, kind of off Poplar level road and, uh, this guy was there and he had his phone. I got talking to him and it started to rain. And, you know, I always met people in a public place just to be safe, the exchange, but seemed like a really nice dude. And it started to rain. I said, Hey, man, where'd you come from? He's like, Well, I live in the apartments right over here. And I was like, Well, let me drive you home. Like, there's no sense in you walking in the rain. And so he gets in my truck. I'm driving him and I'm asking him what he does. He says, Well, you know, I work with uh, I work at UPS and Papa John's, but I'm really trying to get into like hip hop. I think he said something like he was working with Chameleon Air at the time. And so he was going up to uh, his, I was like, hey, like, I would love to buy, like, one of your CDs and support you. Like, can I give you 10 or 20 bucks? And he's like, let me go burn you one real quick. And so he ran up in his apartment, comes down. I still have this pink CD, and it says THX, thanks, man. And, so, and then it says hyphen Bryson. It's signed out, and it's got six tracks on it, and two of them so- are his first CD. So, uh I've got that connection I posted on Instagram one time, and he, like, commented back, and so, I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful once still get him to walk in here and yeah. kind of, like, take a picture with it and
0: yeah. see, you know, what's come out of that iPhone repair business. Payback wins. So. That's really cool. You still have the CD. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. I like it. Um, what about, uh, how, you've been in Nulu, what? We get, we got this building in 2019. 19, okay. And it, a lot's changed. Oh, my gosh, yeah, so...
1: We were making everything on Main Street out of about uh, 6,000 square feet, and we had a lot of foot traffic coming in, people that would walk in and want to, people would want to walk in and shop with us at our production space on Main Street, and so what would happen is they come in, and and inevitably, it would distract us from running the sewing machines, running the heat presses, and and quite honestly, it just wasn't an on-brand experience, it felt more industrial, Uh, and so Clay and I had a discussion, and we said, you know what, let's go out and make the investment and spend the money to offer like that in-person on-brand experience with a proper retail store. And so that's where we started looking around and thinking that we'd rent a place on market street. Uh, I think I got this hosting in an email and just deleted it because I saw the cost on the, on the the email (laughs) and it like a week or two later, a week or two later. That's why I had to turn down. Are we good now? Are we good? Is that better? I think I was too close. Yeah. Those are the lights we be hear better. How about now? Is that better? Okay. So uh a week or yeah. A week or two later, uh, Clay and I were meeting and he's like, Did you see that spot on Shelby Street? And I said, No. And he's like pulls it up and I see this photo of Muhammad Ali and I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that one. It was really expensive. And he's like, We should go take a look. And so we we come over here and look at this spot and uh it was pretty much undeveloped. It was yellow on the front, it had one window on the exterior. It's kind of cool. You can actually go back on Google Maps and see, like, the different times that the Google Maps people took photos of particular areas. And so, like, this building in particular, I think you can see 2009, 2013, 2017, and it's amazing to see the progression of the the area. But, um, yeah, we came in here, and it just made sense when we, like, put numbers into a sheet and talked about where we thought we were going and what it looked like for our brand. And so we were able to acquire this building kind of overhaul the the main floor and create a proper retail environment. The space that y'all are sitting in now, that's the bar, this was built out just last year and opened on Oaks Day. So the first Friday in May of 2022. And then uh, we we initially started out leasing the upstairs to Alani Nutrition. So if any of you all know anything about fitness and millennial females, <laughs> what they like to drink, then uh, Alani Nu is, is somewhere on your short list. But that uh, their marketing and sales team rented upstairs from us for about a year and a half and then we took that back over to kind of expand our events within the space, which is uh, doing belt making classes around Valentine's Day, Father's Day, tote making classes around Mother's Day. Um, Clay got married up there in September. Uh, so awesome. I think when we when we came into new Lou, the uh, rabbit hole of ceiling was either about to open or had just opened. The AC hotel was tie back wrapped. Uh, And then the Butchertown Stadium for Loose City had just been
0: announced. So there's been a lot of progress in the city, even just in
1: the three and a half years we've been.
0: Yeah, for sure. What would you say is like the perfect scenario development-wise for this area going forward that would be perfect for Clayton and Grimm? Mm. Well, I mean,
1: surely you've seen the project on Main um, that Zio's got going on and and just above the AC. So the development of, of, you know, residential apartments there, potential grocery, all of that would be amazing. The Hilton going in here on Jefferson. I know Rabbit Hole has purchased a lot of this southern block of Shelby Street on Jefferson and I think that developing is going to be huge. So really Jefferson building up similarly to how Market has or mm. Maine is in progress of doing I think it's going to be tremendous for the growth and, and just general flow of traffic down here. But One of the most amazing things I've seen being in Nulu is we we expected this to be a place for our local audience to come in and shop because we felt like we were a local Louisville brand. Uh, And so I would have estimated that our sales would have been probably 75% local and 25% out of state um, coming in for the bourbon trail. And it's been the polar opposite of that. I bet 80% of our sales in the store come from people that are traveling to Louisville for conferences, for events to do the bourbon trail. And that's been super encouraging to me.
0: That's
2: awesome. yeah, that is awesome. Is this a fairly novel concept to have a bar
1: in a retail setting? I think that if you travel to to cities that have kind of already climbed up the ranks, if you will, the the Nashvilles, the austins, uh, the Charlestons, I mean those types of places have experiential retail like this and my wife and I travel a lot and so uh, we we've seen places like Austin, Texas Savannah, Georgia, I mean, Places that have retail blended in. I, there's a lot of, you know, shops like there's a Tom store on South Congress in Austin that has an espresso bar in it. The Kendra Scott there has an espresso and smoothie bar. Uh, there's a, a place that feels like anthropology in downtown Savannah, Georgia, that has an espresso bar and cafe. And so I feel like we had experienced a lot of these experiential retail concepts and always knew that. With our tie to the bourbon industry and a lot of the partners that we work with, that this would be just kind of a perfect blend and and coming together the minds of what it was that we did well and what, you know, the, these legacy companies from our state did well right? yeah. and allow us to tell their story. Because for someone like Maker's Mark, you got to go to Loretto and not that many people that come into Louisville are, are going an hour and 40 minutes into central Kentucky, but... Right. We've got barrel picks on our bar people can taste, and we have a strong relationship with a company like them where we can tell their story for them and hopefully drive some business their way.
0: Right. I mean, you've got, I mean, I was looking at your wall out there. How many single barrels do you all have? Yeah, we've done three barrel picks with Maker's Mark over the past year and a half.
1: Uh, we we just got a barrel pick of 1792 in, and we're doing kind of an opening event for a, what we're calling our Master Distiller ser- Series next month. I think that, uh, Jeff, is that Thursday, March 24th? Thursday, March twenty fourth, I believe. So we're gonna be having an event where people that are into bourbon and in Louisville can come in, buy a barrel pick, get it signed by the Master Distiller, have some charcuterie, sit around and wow. talk and ask questions the Master Distiller. And so we hope to do that more and more with people as we do future barrel picks. And then we've also we got a Sazerac Rye pick up there from Buffalo Trace. Uh we've got a knob creek barrel proof. So we've got a few different options you can taste depending on what your palate for sure yourself to.
2: Yeah. There, there seems to be a very natural like uh, nexus between bourbon and and leather. Was that something that you all kind of
1: stumbled into, or was that always part of the part of the plan? I, I think when I was 22, I just wanted to find a way to get some free bottles of bourbon because <laughs> I couldn't afford them myself. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we on the back of our padfolio insert and in, in some of our copy for our company, we write, you know. Well, like a fine barrel of Kentucky bourbon, our leather goods only get better with time. And, and I think that's so true. It's like the aging, the the, the spirit behind it, the the craft that goes into it, um, it, it, it goes together so well. I mean, when you when you listen to the story of Maker's Mark and companies like that and how much they put into the quality and R&D and, and believing in their product, I, I think it, it's hand-in-hand hand with our company. And I think if you look at the, the activations we do and the brand partnerships we have, that's reflected in uh, their desire to work with us frequently. Yeah, yeah.
0: What's up, everybody? It's Nathan Shanks. I wanted to interrupt really quick to talk about one of our sponsors, Shepherd Insurance. Shepherd is one of the top 50 agencies in the nation with access to over 200 insurance companies. From business insurance, health insurance, personal insurance, or financial advising, we strive to protect our clients from the unexpected and offer a wide variety of services tailored to meet your current and future needs. If you'd like more information, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at, at NathanShanksInsurance or shoot me an email at nshanks at shepherdins.com. Let's get back to the show.
2: What I've been hearing uh, since we started and is there's this uh, generational aspect to, to your business and it kind of ties in with bourbon and and your event coordinator told us you know, some of these pieces are heirloom pieces. Because it lasts so long. Could um, could you go into a little bit about why Ural's leather is superior to, you know, a genuine
1: leather quality? good? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, when you talk about the generational aspect, I think that one thing that really makes Clay and I believe in what we're doing and, and anyone who works for us is that Clay's name is attached to it. Like Clayton and Croom is John Clayton Simpson. That's Clay's name on every single thing that we make. And Kroom is my grandfather's middle name. So the one I told you all about that had the farm and and really, you know, he, he was a dairy farmer. He grew up in Bardstown. His dad um, worked security at Heaven Hill Distillery. So that's kind of what we come from. And and every time we see our name on something, I think we feel ownership in that product and and uh, um, like a desire and a responsibility to the people that purchase from us to stand behind that. So if something's not up to our standard, I think we really pride ourselves on customer service and how we treat people, you know, you can call our company's phone number and talk to someone who works here in Louisville on Planside Drive in Jefferson Town that probably went to college in Kentucky and you can get that same experience that you get. You can walk into our store and interact with somebody. Uh, And so I I think we're very involved in that and that's why we take a lot of pride in what we do. Uh, The other part of your question was... Yeah, I have this tendency to... (laughs) The the generational aspect of it. Oh, the leather, the authenticity. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I would encourage anybody who wants to learn more about leather to either hang around here for a while and we can dive into that for you or to come to one of our belt-making or tote-making classes and we can give you a full lesson on it. But the quick and dirty version of that is that... uh, If you're buying leather, I don't care if you buy from us. Just buy something that's good quality. Like, if our aesthetic's not your aesthetic, that's fine. Like, we do what we do. We believe in it. There are other companies out there that make good leather goods. Um, I think that we stand out for a few different reasons, but I'll leave that up to the consumer to decide. But if you're buying something, you should want it to say either full-grain or top-grain leather. Genuine leather is a marketing term used. I don't know if the Italian tannery started it or what, but... Think of genuine leather as, like, the plywood of leather, okay? It's (laughs) genuinely leather mostly. (laughs) And so it can be, you know, leather scraps that basically went through a shredder that are mixed with a bunch of glue, a bunch of paint, a bunch of dye. And it's the type of thing, like, if you ever own that belt that you've worn for three to six months or had that wallet from a J. Crew like I did that, like, after a bit, it just starts to chip off, like, paint. Like, Mm -hmm. that's genuine leather. And, and that stuff sucks. And I think that growing up, genuine. I was shitty. <laughs> absolutely shit. The, uh, the way, I don't know, I don't know. Like growing up for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to buy this like department store belt and it's going to be awesome and it's 100% genuine leather. And then you wear it, six months later, it looks like some amalgamation of garbage put together that, you know, I just wasted my money on. So I don't know. I mean, people used to say to me, for a belt, that's crazy. But if you look at spending 60 bucks on a belt that falls apart on you in a year, I think it's a hell of a deal. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, One thing I one more thing I wanted to bring up is uh, just kind of as a dad and a, and a husband and uh, you know uh, what I see as a, as a hustler, if you will, just someone that's, you know, on the day to day, just working hard and trying to grow their business. Um, How, how do you manage all of that? Be- owning a dental practice, you know, being a part owner in this business, being a dad, being a husband, what, is there some sort of a uh, mindset or, or, or something that you utilize to, to accomplish all, to, d- how do you do it all basically yeah. what I'm getting at.
1: My wife's looking at me right now, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, all I can tell you. Would you like to call Yeah. 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 I'll, all, all I can tell <laughs> I've I've heard her opinion. <laughs> uh now all I can tell you about that one is it's it's a constant learning experience. Um it's it's a work in progress. I I didn't have a great balance of that early in my marriage or early in life. Um I think it's better now. Um and I hope it continues to get better. Um you know, dentistry, that's something I care about and I spend a lot of time on. It it's looking through a microscope, working on a single tooth that five times magnification for hours on end, bent over, leaned over, this balances me out. You know, I get to sit here and drink bourbon and talk about leather goods with people and hang out with, with awesome people in the community. So um, this kind of stuff's fun. But the thing that I can tell you, and I don't just say this because some of these people in the room, but but because I wholeheartedly believe this, is like, you know, you've, you've probably heard, like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think we, like Clay and I both have been really fortunate from the beginning of our company to have people who believed in what we were trying to do and believed in building, you know, a high quality business here at Volvo and offering great jobs and, and creating great product. And, uh, we've just had awesome people that have come on board with that. So I, I feel like less of my time is spent, um, uh, in the weeds with specific things and more providing support to my team members based on what's needed. Uh, I tell people, I think one of the most common, uh Maybe like, not critiques, but but pieces of feedback I get from people on my team is like, I want more one-on-one time with you. And I'm like, well, if you're not getting one-on-one time with me, that's a good thing because that means the business needs my attention elsewhere. So Mm -hmm. I'm constantly looking at like the indicators that show where I need to invest my time. And so for one three-month period, that might be on helping launch our Charleston store. And then for another three-month period, it might be helping build out this bar. Another three-month period, it might be helping with, Christmas fulfillment and things in our production space and it's just a constant shift Um, you know on top of that I think I've heard a lot of people lately that do a great job of carving out time you know like 5 to 8 p.m. for their family every night and I've been trying to get better and better about like having that time and understanding like after the kid goes to bed like that's a good time to take take care of work I Mm -hmm. think you can also find people that would attest that they'll get messages from me at all hours of the night and 1 a.m. when I'm I don't know not sleeping that well. No. But I've started to schedule some of those emails where well, they we'll send them last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, started, I've started to send some of those emails on like a scheduler where they go out at 7 30 AM mm-hmm. so people don't know when I'm actually working on it. But yeah. um no, I I don't have specific advice, but I just know like if you believe in something and you care about it and you're passionate about it, like you gotta run full force and um uh, you gotta have people around you that support you and believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually the five to eight you mentioned I have my. You can on an iPhone anyway. You can block. I do five to nine every day. Is I get no notifications. There's a handful of people that can, you know, hack that that get through, but mm-hmm. mostly yeah, my phone is basically off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that family time's important for sure. Indeed, I uh, had a
2: second. Our, had our second baby last year, and wife went back to work. It was, um, a, an adjustment. 4.30 to 7. Can't get a hold of me Yeah, I'm in real estate, so Definitely. I work when others aren't working, so 7 to 9 is a normal <laughs>
1: part of the work day for me. But. Definitely. And I think it's important to understand, like, there are seasons in life when you're, like, called to do a lot and other times when you can rest, and so you have to really make sure you take advantage of those, those times of rest. Um, and there's a guy, there's a management system we've implemented within our company in the past two years called EOS. I don't know if y'all are familiar with it at all or not, but... Yeah, entrepreneurial operating system, and there's a book called Traction. And if you don't run your company on that or have any familiarity with it, we, I could not recommend it more. It's it's worked wonders for us. Uh, but one of the things that guy talks about is like figuring out like what's your like what's your what kind of tank do you have and what do you have to give. And something I found fascinating is he said like his all in in his life was, uh, it was forty weeks a year. 55 hours a week and what I found fascinating about that is people would think oh man this guy takes 12 weeks off that's crazy he's taking 3 months off out of the year like how's he getting anything done but you multiply 40 weeks times 55 hours a week you get 2200 hours if you take the average hourly employee job and you take 50 weeks 2 weeks pay vacation 40 hours a week 2000 hours you get paid for 2080 hours so that guy's actually working more right than a lot of people, so it's it's figuring out when you when you got to give and when you got to take, um, and so for us like January is busy. We're like coming off of a big year. We're planning. We're strategizing. After Valentine's Day through March, it's a little slower. April, May, June are slammed. It's like lead up to Derby, Mother's Day, Father's Day. July through September, dead. It's like that's when I go on vacation every year. <laughs> it's
0: when you golf. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's why, I, why that's when i attempt to golf yes yeah uh, and then october through december it's it's crazy and so you got to give a lot yeah. and then we always take i always take the week off after christmas so uh i, I don't know what that is for everybody's life or, or yeah. structure but i just think it's important to understand that so like you and your spouse and your family and your friends like they know when you're available and when you may not be
2: yeah hey everyone andrew beckman here i'm gonna steal your ears for just a moment to thank one of our sponsors the Beckman Group at Hand Sotheby's. For the past 10 years in Louisville, Sotheby's has been number one for sales above a million, number one for sales above 400000 highest average sales price, highest average list price, highest sales production per agent, and close to a 40% market share in off-market sales. There's a good chance we can sell your house at our weekly sales meeting. Please reach out to me if you'd like more information about how we can help you buy and sell real estate here in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find me on Instagram at akbeck03realtor or ping me at andrew at com. Now let's get back to the show. For sure. In the, in the vein of traction and VTO and EOS, are there any other pro tips you might have on the, on books like that that really impacted
1: maybe not uh, just your business? I mean, I used to read a lot of that, and so, I mean, uh, I think Outliers is a wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. book. I reference that one a lot in my personal life. Um EOS is great, though. I mean, it's just given us a lot of clarity in the business about what we're working towards. And so they say, you know, everybody should have their number. Like, business should have this vision. And so for us, like, what we decided was our, like, 10-year, you're supposed to create this, like, 10-year, big, hairy, audacious goal, they call it. And so you start thinking about that. And you're like, what do you want my business's revenue to be? How much profit do you want? And you talk about all these things. And you're like, is that really what matters? Like, is that what drives me and, like, what I want? my company to be about. And so the number we picked was number of returning customers. And the reason we did that is we feel like that's comprehensive throughout every segment of the business. Like whether you're marketing, selling, working in retail, creating the product, providing customer service on the phone, on email, working at a show, like no matter what you do in this company, if your driving force is creating more repeat customers year over year, then you're doing the right thing. And I think that's like Allows collective decision making that people can rally around. So, well said. That's cool, I like it. It was funny because I, I was on a board retreat last weekend for a nonprofit I helped found about a decade ago for Alzheimer's research, with, which both of my grandfathers passed from. And we started doing this EOS thing, and it was funny. I was texting some of the, the people in our company because the metric we came up with for for the nonprofit was number of repeat donors in 10 years okay for a similar you know in a similar yeah. vein yeah definitely like we want like we we've raised more and more money every year that we've been doing this for a decade and uh but our number of repeat donors on our website last year or the year before was seven out of 500 yeah wow which is pitiful yeah that's on so a it shows me there's a lot of opportunity to bring people back and re-engage them and mm-hmm. what we're yeah, for sure. And it seems like it ties back
2: into this generational aspect
1: of, you
2: know, your products and how your grandfather embedded lessons of hard work and, yeah, uh, you know, in the in that vein too. Before, leading up to this event, I heard a little history about the building and another icon in Louisville um,
1: that worked really hard to get results he wanted. Could you talk? that whole day. <laughs> yeah, so this building, I think it was built in 1848. It was prior to the Civil War, which is crazy to be in here and think about that. Um, but uh, it's been a number of things over the years. It's been a police station. It's been like a, uh, I think maybe like a Masonic Lodge, a photo studio, an, a, an antique market. I mean, just a bunch of things. Uh, and an auto repair shop. and But in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, this was... Uh, the, the stairwell to the right, just outside of it, there was a sign. It said Headline Boxing Gym, and it was run by this guy named Bud Bruner, who's a famous trainer. And uh, if you go upstairs, you can see probably 80% of the remaining floor upstairs is true and original to the building. Um, so we, we purchased the building from Gil Holland, who built a lot of Nulu and... and he did a wonderful job rehabbing the upstairs and putting new trusses and new roof on this place. Um, I don't know if we would have had the first idea where to start with any of so I'm thankful that was done before we came in. But uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s, this is a boxing gym, and there's a photo you all can see on the back if you go up there after this podcast of of Ali training in this building. and it's, So it's the first place he trained after he won his gold medal in Rome in 1960. So It's a really cool piece of history for the building. Um, something we take a lot of pride in. I've got some ideas for the future of like some speakeasy nights that are like ticketed events where you come in and we've got boxing themed cocktails Mm -hmm. or show showing old Ali fights, either on the screen or if we get even more people upstairs in that environment. So, um, that's something that that we love to highlight and celebrate. And if you look at some of the decor around the room, which my wife did all the design of this, so you can say thank you to her for an awesome experience. But, uh, there's some, some tributes to, to Ali space throughout and like little subtle hints, Mm -hmm. um, on there and then if you look at our cocktail menu that's something i went through and named probably two years ago before we ever had a bar and there's one on there called bud bruner's bramble so that's the gin bramble named after the guy who had the boxing gym upstairs
0: love it it's really cool she did do a great job this is a really cool bar really cool store it's it's a good vibe for sure so well thanks man i i uh we we said 30 minutes we're right there so uh um, I can really go for two hours, but I out, you know, I know, drink, drink, so no. but right, I think, we I think these little guys little are ready to order more so. drinks and, yes. uh, and and get the ice shaker. Going do you have, to have a, so, give a giveaway to do? I do have to a giveaway. Give we she did not, high. we collected zero business cards. That was a huge, if piece. y'all have a business card, uh, throw it in this ballet tray and then we're uh, going to draw and they have got some, we have three, uh, dollar
1: bills at this place. If anybody, uh. If anybody, we got we got a set of city local coasters from Clayton Crew, a free drink at the bar, and then something from from Nathan here. So
0: pop them right in here. Nice. If anybody wants yeah. one, there's gonna be like five people that that are gonna win everything. Uh, do want real quick? Does anybody have any questions? Y'all want to ask? Oh yeah, from, does anybody uh, want to ask it, Tyler? Anything? Why a shit? Read all your letter. Oh my the question is, how does he manage his supply, supply chain? And where does he get his? Buy, buy me a beer, Wing talk. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh,
1: supply chain. I mean, a lot of our leather comes from a, a tannery out of Chicago called Horween, which if you've bought nice leather goods from anywhere, that then you're familiar with those. Uh, so, so that's a good portion of it. The, the pandemic introduced some difficulties in the supply chain to tanneries in the United States due to limitations on like labor availability. Uh, so we we do have some partners in Mexico that, that we do the tanning with Clay and I've traveled down there several times and um, actively work with them all the time to iterate new versions of that product and and supplement what we do but one thing I can tell you a hundred percent confidence is we spend more money each and every year on American products coming from American companies than we did the year before and that's something we continue to invest in so If those tanneries could supply our demand, I'd be 100% right here, Uh, but the pandemic made that difficult, and we're still playing catch-up a little bit. I've been to leather conferences in Mexico, Italy, and Dubai, and I can show you incredible leather made anywhere in the world. So uh, no, I can show you better leather from an Italian tannery than, you know, one that we could find in Wisconsin. But right, vice versa, I mean, Horween out of Chicago is top notch best of the best and we buy as much as we possibly can from them. And the
2: question there was like, is there a disparity or differentiation between a tannery in Chicago compared to a tannery yeah.
1: elsewhere? So. No, I mean, it, you know, there's but there are differentiations between tanneries, regardless of where you go.
0: Tell the story of your product. Yeah, and I think that.
1: Yeah, I mean, all like a bourbon. All all of the the hides that we use come from North American cattle, uh, and I think really, you know, that that's an interesting question because do do customers care where that came from or do they care the quality that it produces and the longevity of the product and the, like the guarantee it stands behind? I mean, some of that's yet to be seen. That's questions we ask all the time. But uh, at the end of the day, like I said earlier, we, we put our name behind the product. And so I'm not going to sell something with my grandfather's middle name on it, somebody that I'm proud of and that, that you know, I, I want his legacy to live on through our products with something that I don't believe in. So uh, I think it's like, building trust in our brand that people know we're going to deliver them something we deem to be, you know, of, of high quality.
0: Well, Tyler, I appreciate it, man. Very grateful. Um, thanks for having us here, uh, sitting in your bar and, uh, thank you to everyone that came, uh, first, first live, uh, series we've ever done. So. Hype uh, Louisville. Um, first yeah. many. Hopefully, we can do another one here in a few months, and uh, we'll see you guys again. Follow them on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Don't follow us on TikTok. Follow us on the grind, y'all. Bye, guys.